Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 50. This episode is sponsored by the Academic Life Faculty Development Workshop, a series of free in-person and online events that are designed for those already in or seeking to enter academic careers in STEM fields. The next workshop will be in person on April 22nd, 2023 at Boston College. If you're interested, please find the details of the workshop and the registration link in the show notes. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Hi, my name is Pani Anuel. I'm an assistant professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I am also a professor of mechanical engineering. We are very excited today. Uh, we are partnering with the Academic Life Faculty Development Workshops. The workshop team found our podcast, and then we realized that we have a common goal, which is to help present and future STEM faculty to explore academic life. So we're now working together to bring you in this and the next few episodes, some of the contents that they have developed. You will find these topics to be highly relevant to all of us. Let's first briefly introduce the leaders of this workshop who are with us today. Hi, Pamela, Jennifer, and Steve. Welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you for having us. It's, I'm so excited to be with you today. We're so excited to have you here today. Could you talk about who you are and what you do? Hi, my name is Pamela Abshire. I'm a professor of electrical and computer engineering and the Institute for Systems Research at the University of Maryland College Park. I'm Jennifer Blaine Christen at Arizona State University. I'm an associate professor of electrical engineering. And I'm Stephen Centuria. I'm a professor emeritus of electrical engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. All right, great. Thank you. All right, so before we get into the details of the workshop, my understanding is that this workshop series that you have been holding for years is quite unique in a sense that it's not a typical workshop where you just sit down and listen to a collection of do's and don'ts for faculty, but rather your workshops use several dramatizations of fictional events and situations. So what we want to understand is why fiction? What prompted this focus? Is it because it's more effective in translating the fictional situations to real life or some other purposes? I'll speak for the group here. The real issue is secrecy. When you talk about entering an academic career, you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna to have to publish my work. And the peer review process is anonymous. You don't know who's doing the reviewing. You don't really understand what's going on behind the window. And in the case of promotion and tenure, it's extremely secret. There's protections for the letter writers. There's protections for the candidates. There's protections for the people who are involved in making the decision on promotions. And so it's very hard to get access to what really goes on by anyone telling their story. We find fiction enables us to get at this in a very effective way. So can you guys tell us a little bit about what brought you guys together and what's the purpose of this workshop? 
Well, that's two wonderful questions. First of all, what got us together was an odd series of events. I had always been interested in novels about university life, and I read many of them. And many of them were farces in which dysfunctional English departments had wacky professors doing odd things. And I was in a serious department where we took ourselves and everyone around us very seriously. And I said, I'm going to write a story about the way it really is. So I set out to write a novel about academic life as I understood it. Someone who had been involved in promotions and tenure for 25 years. And I wanted to make a realistic version of what might happen in a tenure case. And then I was giving a talk at the University of Maryland about the academic life. And I used some quotes from the novel, which is called One Man's Purpose. And it went, I thought, quite well. But at the end of it, this woman came up to me and said, you have to write a play. Well, this woman was Pamela. So I'm going to let her pick up the story from here. Thanks, Steve. Just to set the background here a little bit, in case it's not obvious, Steve is a natural ally and happens to be the academic grandfather of one of my distinguished colleagues and friends at the University of Maryland. He's a pioneer in the field of microelectromechanical systems and microsystems. He's had a truly profound impact in the field, not only for his scientific contributions, but also for elevating his students in the field, including many prominent female scientists. I was so happy to attend Steve's talk on his novel in 2017 back at the University of Maryland. And sitting in that audience, it just, I loved hearing about the novel. I have to admit that at that point, I hadn't yet read the novel. And I think that that was true for nearly everyone in the room. And I felt like the, the topics that Steve was getting at were so important that we really needed to have deeper discussion of those topics and that we could have had deeper discussion of those topics with a little bit more exposition of what was actually the content in the novel. So <laughs> maybe being not a person who's afraid to talk most of the time, I went up to him afterwards and made the suggestion that he needed to write a play and that I had a place to put it on. Yeah, and I guess the short answer is if Pamela says write a play, what you do is you write a play. And uh, I did. So that, that was a wonderful story about how you guys came together. And now can you tell us a little bit about what topics are you bringing to our audiences? Well, the play that I wrote actually got presented twice, first in Florence, which was the venue that was intended originally, and then a week later at the Hilton Head MEMS workshop. And in each case, we had about 250 people attending. Uh, Jennifer and Pamela were the ones who set up the Florence episode, and I was the one who set up the Hilton Head episode, and it became clear that there were virtues in using this kind of approach. And so Jennifer actually took the lead in making this into more of a formal program. Maybe she should tell you about that. Sure, I'd, I'd love to tell you that we had an amazing event in Florence. We had prominent members of our community acting in this radio play as characters from the book. And in addition to that, I was able to read the book and follow along with this story that was really compelling. 
So there's a compelling story, but as I'm putting myself into the book and feeling what this character is feeling, the main character who is trying to get tenure, this advisor, Martin Plant from the book, is coaching her on how to get tenure. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I wish I had known Martin when I was going up for tenure. I wish Martin was telling me all the strategies to get in front of the right people to figure out who I should put on my list of letter writers for tenure. And I thought, this is just too good to let go. We have to do this again. We have to get this out to people. Because I had gone to a number of the workshops that you alluded to, where you sit and listen to a collection of do's and don'ts. And I heard the do's, I heard the don'ts, but I hadn't heard anything like what was in the book. I hadn't heard this very personal advice, this you know person who was trying to direct the main character through all these obstacles, especially as a woman of color. And so I really wanted this to get out to more than just the limited audiences who had viewed it in the original productions. So I went to my amazing program officer at, at NSF, Wendy Nilsson, who has been incredibly supportive of junior faculty. And I talked to her about this and she said, you need to make this into a full day workshop. And so of course we went back to Steve and said, we have to do this and we have to do more. So we were able to talk him into contributing even more vignettes and scripts that came from the book. And we just kept adding on with different topics that were really pertinent to the promotion and tenure process. Yeah, well, as it turns out, we added two additional faculty to our team. Uh, one of them is Nicole McFarlane, who's a professor at the University of Tennessee, and Myra Samory, who's a professor at Boston College. And the five of us would get on Zoom and brainstorm how to make these topics appropriately available to people. And so we would talk about our personal experiences. And as things gelled, one or the other of my lovely female colleagues would point to me and say, you've got to write this up. And so I would go and write up another script and we would try it out in a subsequent workshop. COVID had a big impact on us. We ended up having to go online. And uh, the benefit of that, of course, was people could attend from all over. And the disadvantage was we lacked that personal interaction that we loved so much. But between us, the five of us have all contributed ideas to what we end up putting in these scripts. And then we read the scripts and we get discussion and people share their experiences. It's really quite lively and very impressive. We enjoy doing it. We love it, in fact. Pani asked about the topics that we've added, and I, I can say a few words about that. We have actually planned five, five additional episodes uh, with this wonderful podcast team. Uh, one of them is on how to structure a scientific paper. Another one is on how to respond to reviewer comments. And we're doing it in the context of another one of the scenarios that I wrote, having to do with what happens when a very junior person has to review a paper by a very senior person, and there's maybe a problem with the originality of the content of that paper. This is uh, something that happens in real life, and so we like to, to talk about it in a way that people can understand. But then we also decided to add some more personal 
issues, things having to do with emotional interactions. Maybe Jennifer, you took the lead on this, so maybe you should talk about what we did in adding these additional episodes. Uh, so as we were speaking with each other about our experiences, things that had been stumbling blocks, things that we had really struggled with in our academic careers, we came across a couple other topics. One was microaggressions. And boy, did we all have stories to tell about that. <laughs> I think we gave Steve more than enough content to create the vignette uh, about microaggressions. I'm sure we've all had the experience when, where someone, as a woman, you come into a room and someone says, hey, honey, why don't you take the notes? So we had a good collection of stories that we all discussed and all contributed to that made up the vignettes. Uh, and then we, we talked about imposter syndrome. And one of the things I, I really love about in, the imposter syndrome vignette that Steve put together was that one of the parts of that actually came from his experience. And so it was actually comforting that the, Steve, who, who has been for many, many years, one of my idols in the field, had an imposter syndrome story to tell himself. So we really were able to pull together real experiences and elaborate on them to Steve. And he was just amazing at pulling those together into a vignette that could convey so much information in such a compact form. And now that COVID is over, ha, sort of over, uh, we're going back to a an in-person workshop for the first time in several years. And our next will be at Boston College on April 22nd of this year, 2023. It will be a full day, no charge for attending, thanks to our support from the National Science Foundation. And we will be covering all of the topics that we've mentioned. Uh, we have room for 80 participants. And those who are interested, there'll be information, I gather, on the website of the podcast that will tell you how to locate us and register. Search for The Academic Life or go to the website, theacademiclife.org. So what's the benefit of attending the workshop in person? Oh my, it's very interesting in person, the body language, the raised eyebrows, the things you cannot pick up on Zoom or on, on these video conferences. We find that having done a number of these now remotely, that is through the virtual electronic context, that we don't quite get that personal connection with as many participants as we do when we're there in person, partly because there's a coffee break or there's lunch and you get to elaborate on things in a way that's particularly wonderful. But the fact is we're gonna be covering all of these subjects at the April 22nd meeting. But if Boston is too far away for you, we are starting to prepare a website in which our materials are going to be posted, the scripts. And people who want to try to run their own local workshops will have access to what we've put together. Uh, the, the website is being designed even as we are speaking with you today. And we hope very soon to have it up, available, and ready for you to access these things. We want to make this a real resource for anyone who wants to help our community, all of our communi mutual community. And we're happy to interact with people, with folks who want to use the website. As they have questions, they should reach out to us. And I should just say that 
we couldn't be more delighted to have learned about your podcast because it's so obvious to us that we have exactly the same goals in mind. We just have slightly different ways of getting at them. And I think it's a wonderful compliment to each of us that we compliment each other. With the only difference is that when we form our podcast, it was during pandemic. So we were not lucky enough to be in Florence or in Italy or in these wonderful places. So that's the only difference. But hopefully we can all get together in one of those beautiful, magical places in the world. So I would like to add that I think one of the other advantages of being there in person is to meet other academics who are on this tenure journey. It has been really invaluable to me to have connections, to have personal connections to others who are on that journey, who I can call up and say, can you believe this happened? Or what am I gonna do about this? I, I don't know what to do. Um, and, and some of those topics are, are topics that I wasn't comfortable sharing with anyone at my university. Some things had happened, I had interactions with people that I was worried to, to share within my university, but having someone I could call up and talk frankly with who was at a different institution and ha had a different perspective or would just maintain that privacy was really important to me. And so I hope that through these workshops, bringing people together, we can help to create community and help to allow people to network and find those people who might be the one that you call up on that night and say, you won't believe what happened to me. I'll have to say that Jennifer is on my speed dial and having community is really important for getting through some of these challenges that you face in normal life as an academic. We had a podcast on mentoring and we talked about this, that sometimes you need somebody outside your institutions that you can freely and openly speak with them. And you are right. Being in those workshops, it creates this bonds and people, they form these relationships. And, and thank you for mentioning that. The other thing that I think, it, at least to me, is really meaningful in this group is that um, there's no question that all of the people who are involved are really serious scientists and serious academics and also care very deeply about making this academic life better for all of us. And I'm just honored to be and to be part of this group and I have so much fun with them. So we're going to have a great time in Boston on April 22nd. Typically, what's the makeup of the audience like prior to COVID in terms of gender, ethnicity? Can you just tell us, uh, give us an idea about that? At our first couple of workshops, I'd have to say we were in person at conferences in the field of electrical and computer engineering. So I don't know how many conferences you've attended in that field, but they tend to be pretty male. <laughs> so our conferences were international, at least our first conference was a highly international crowd, but also strongly male. But, you know, what we've learned over the years is that even in very male-dominated fields, having allies and having support from the community is critical for making all of these issues better. You can't, one of my very close friends likes to say, the pandas can't save the pandas. And so, in order to have a small minority of the population make progress in the field, it takes support from the authorities, from, from the power structure. And I like to think that, I mentioned earlier that Steve is a born ally. I don't think that I am. And I sometimes I need help in learning the right things to do. 
And I think that that's the value of workshops like this, is that it gives you some pointers and some understanding of the issues and some thoughts about maybe what are the first or second things that you might try to do when you find yourself faced with a situation. Mm -hmm. Also, in response to Kim's question, during the COVID era, when we were only doing online, we did two nationwide online workshops that were not affiliated with conferences. And at those, we got mostly graduate students or postdocs, a few junior faculty members, not very many, uh, but mostly it was graduate students who wanted to understand what they were going to do once they got their degree. Would they try for an academic career? And we got gratifyingly positive feedback about the insights that we were able to provide. That's interesting because I was go that was going to be my follow-up question after the students, the graduate students, aspiring faculty members pretty much listen or they discourage and they say, I don't want to, to do this. I most often when I've advised graduate students at the end of their thesis and I ask them, what are they going to do next? They very rarely say, I want to be a professor. And it's mostly because they see how hard I work, the politics. So it's very good to hear that they're having experiences that still encourage them to become faculty members. So that's great news. Well, it's a self-selected group. Who's going to come to a workshop like this? It's going to be someone who has a bee in their bonnet about becoming an academic. So we get the people who are emotionally, at least, committed to trying it out. And with them, we've had uh, quite positive responses. Well, wonderful. I think we are ready to hear more about the upcoming contents, all the materials that you have developed over the years. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and give us a great overview of the upcoming episodes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And I'm really looking forward to interacting more. It's been great to get to know you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So to our listeners, the next The Academic Life Workshop will be in person on April 22nd at Boston College. It's free to all. You can find the details again in our show notes. Or you can find the registration link on the website as well. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.